Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll stand in honor of God's Word. Always good to have guests here with us. Always good to have guests. We have some that were here last week and back this week. I got acquainted with the gentleman today. Sure enjoyed that. And others that are here for the very first time. God bless you. Sincerely bless you for being here. And here's what we're confident in. Uh, well, we're confident, number one, in who he is and what he said. And, and um, if that doesn't help you, you can't be helped because, I mean, he... He's sufficient. He really is. And so I'm trusting that God and His Word will be sufficient to be a help to you. All right. So we, we're in a study here of um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're, we've made it uh, all the way to chapter 6 now. And um, it's important for us to be mindful of this, that in this particular section of Scripture that Jesus is instructing His disciples, or maybe I could even say it this way, those who would desire to be His disciples. Uh, he's instructing some that were committed to be His disciples, but who struggled. Anybody else here kind of like that? I want to be His follower, but I have a hard time. I fail. I falter. He's merciful. He's gracious. And I'm grateful to God for that. So he's telling his disciples some things they definitely need to hear. Because when it comes to chapter 8 and the sermon is complete, then they're going to go back down from the mountain to the multitudes, to the people. It's kind of like this. At all week at camp, uh, it was just, I mean, we had seven saved. We want to give God glory for that. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. Preached Matthew chapter 5. Just walked through it with the young people there. And now they're back where their faith is being tested. But we need these times. As a church family, we, we're called apart every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night to be instructed from the Word of God. I'm also mindful that we have some here who may not be believers. And we're certainly praying for you. I want to make application uh, to you as well. All right, let's read the text now. Verses uh, 1 through nine, one through 8 rather, of uh, Matthew chapter number 6. He tells his disciples this, <clears throat> Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be what? Seen. There's our problem. We like to be seen, noticed, appreciated. Don't do your giving, your alms to be seen of men. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. That's some good advice right there. Don't blow your own horn. How's that? That'll work, right? Don't sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What was it? That was it. Glory of men. Wow. Hope you enjoyed it. Your moment's over. Yeah, but what about God's? No, nope, that was it right there. You got it. That's it. Here's what Jesus said. Do instead, verse 3. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in what? Secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee how? Openly. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be, here it is again, seen of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee, he says again, openly. He goes on and explains a little bit more about prayer when he says this, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. 
I think about the prophets of Baal who from morning till noon cried, Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Just over and over again, mindlessly. Thought they might be heard for their much speaking. Well, Elijah prayed a short prayer and he was heard. Notice verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And he goes into what we know as the Lord's Prayer as he's teaching his disciples. Verse 16, could you look down just real quick? We're not going to cover this today, but moreover, when you fast, well, that's not a popular Baptist doctrine, but it is in the Word of God. When you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may, be, they may appear unto men to fast. They make themselves unrecognizable that they might be recognized. <laughs> Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but th unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. He used three different things to teach the same doctrine, the same thing. Okay. Our theme, uh, our, our title for the series is Jesus is King. We ought to live under His authority. He's trying to help His disciples. He's trying to help us today. So the title of Sermon 19 here this morning is this, Glory Hogs. Glory Hogs. That's what we tend to be. If somebody always wants the ball, always wants to make the shot, we call them a what? A ball hog. Well, we tend to be glory hogs. Glory hogs. Are you living for God's approval or rooting and wallowing in man's applause? May the Lord help us. Because we are being called upon to serve Christ in an age or a culture that's addicted to likes. Likes. Like me. Like me on... <laughs> Give me thumbs up. Don't give me a thumbs down. Repost. Send it out. Glory hogs. Glory hogs. Well, this will be an encouraging sermon. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. We'll get right to it here. A few weeks ago, we were on the, I'm sorry, just a week ago, Saturday, we were on the hike with the sixth grade young men as they were transitioning into manhood. And we were in the Wichita Wildlife Refuge. I love that area of Oklahoma. It's beautiful. It really is, you know, just complete with a lot of wildlife, buffalo and, and, um, and longhorns and so forth. It's just, it's really beautiful. Uh, I got concerned because we, we were going on Saturday, but someone gave us news that on Friday it was closed down, like they were closing certain parts of the park, Elk Mountain in particular, that's where we were going to hike, and some other uh, parts were going to be closed, uh, the Holy City was going to be closed, and so some places we were going to take the young men, uh, potentially was going to be closed. We went online and found out it was going to be closed Friday, opened back up on Saturday, I'm sure glad about that, but here's, here's the reason why they closed it down. Feral. Hogs, feral hogs, wild, undomesticated hogs, pigs, wild pigs, boars, etc., razorbacks. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Feral hogs are a nuisance. I mean, they, they really have become quite a problem. If you live in the rural areas, you know what I'm talking about. They... They will just trample and root and wallow and, and, I mean, really do major damage to land, to farmland and landowners. In fact, they destroy crops, forestry, pastures. Um, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, I looked this up just to see how big is this problem. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the South, of course, but, but I mean, of course, into Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Kansas, I mean, really, states are just getting run, overrun with hogs. Um, $2.5 billion annually, damage done. 
by feral hogs. Uh, one report read this way, if pigs could fly, Texas farmer Richard Beyer wishes they'd travel far, far away. He grows corn, cotton, rice, and sorghum along the Gulf Coast and estimates the damage from feral swine can sometimes wipe out one-fifth of his crop. One-fifth. I remember writing, I, if I remember right, I, would, I think I was actually flying from Corpus or down to Corpus Christi, which would be right around the area where he, he has evidently his ranch, his farm. And I rode beside a man and asked him what he does. He said, well, actually, my job is uh, I fly in a helicopter with a rifle and I'm shooting hogs. And I mean, they've actually made a sport of this. You can pay a lot of money to get to do this, but they are actually, the government is paying these individuals to go out and, and wipe out the hog population because they're, they're getting so plentiful. I've got a lot of friends out in the, out in the eastern, southeast part of, of the state. And one of my good friends is a man named Clay Turner. And he sent me a, a picture of a hog. I kid you not, definitely bigger than this pulpit. I mean, it looked like a cow that he killed. I thought, brother, did you get mixed up? I mean, that looks like a Hereford, you know. But it was, it was a feral hog and nasty. I mean, just na nasty, nasty, nasty. Anyways. So they had parts of the, the park closed down. They had the Holy City. I don't know if you've ever seen it. The Holy City in the Wichita Mountains. Very fascinating. Built in the 1930s from some of the stone from that region. It, because of the terrain, you know, the mountainous areas there and the way that it's shaped, it really does uh, remind people of, that have been there to Israel. And I hope someday to go there and see if that's for real. But but anyways, the, uh, the terrain of Israel, very much like that. And so they have replicated there, you know, uh, Pilate's Judgment Hall, the place where they had the Lord's Supper as well, the temple court and, and Golgotha and the empty tomb. And in fact, it's the longest running passion play uh, from the 1930s. I mean, they had, they've had droves of people come in there. I read a really large number. I think it was from 1937. They had 225,000 people that came in there to watch the, the Prince of Peace is what it's called. It's a passion play about the life of Christ. Well, they shut the place down so they could kill the hogs. I joined the group later because of a funeral, and, but Brother Brian Wells, who was leading the group, uh, he sent me some pictures and showed me just what, what these feral hogs did to the Holy Land, to the Holy City. I mean, you would think that they'd been tilling. I mean, seriously, you, it looked like they were getting ready to, 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 lay, to uh, plant some corn or, or something, like the ground was so worked up, but here's what it was, hogs. Treading, trampling, wallowing, rooting where they did not belong. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is addressing a different type of pest. It was doing damage in the holy city, the holy city of Jerusalem and that whole region. Of course, he's there near Galilee. The scribes and Pharisees were treading where they had no business treading. They were searching for something that did not belong to them. They were rooting for glory that belonged to another. They were wallowing in pride over their performance. They wanted people to praise them for their devotion. They were taking away glory that only ought to go to one who can properly handle it. Because to handle glory, are you listening to me here this morning? To be able to handle glory, you've got to be perfectly holy. Otherwise, you can't handle glory. That's why God told Moses, Moses, take off thy sandals, take off thy shoes for the ground on which you are. You're on holy ground. And mind you that his sandals only would have been at most maybe a quarter inch thick. But God was saying, Moses, you're too tall. You're too high. Get low because you're not worthy. You can't handle the glory. I'm telling you, none of us can handle the glory that rightfully belongs to God because we are so unholy and we'll use it for ourselves, but God can handle the glory and he alone can. I remember being in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, 
and uh, driving around with the host pastor there and seeing Orthodox Jews. I mean, being in a, in a, a totally Jewish section for the first time and seeing uh, probably some that had immigrated maybe from Russia, the tall uh, Jewish hats and the phylacteries. And, and it was the Sabbath day we were going down there for some smoked meat. It was awesome. But anyways, uh, that was beside the point. But we were going down in that area. And, and uh, I mean, the Jews were out in full force. I mean, little kids, you know, and, and, and with their, their, the, the sideburns, we would say, kind of hanging down low, the, 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 the garments, I mean, everything. And I mean, I'm so intrigued by this. I've got my phone out and I'm wanting to take pictures. And I asked Brother Monette, Brother Monette am, I, am I able to take pictures? I, I mean, I didn't want to be disrespectful, like taking pictures of people that I didn't know. You know what I mean? He said, oh, brother, oh, brother, they want you to take their picture because they are very proud of their heritage and proud of their religious uh, 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 look and, and the fact that this is the, the Sabbath day, they are out in full force. Well, I learned this. I've learned this. I'm learning this. I struggle with this. I think if you're honest, you'd say the same, that you don't have to be an Orthodox Jew to have a problem with wanting attention wanting approval and wanting the praise of those around you. And that is precisely while Jesus spoke to us as modern day disciples, followers of his, because we too tend to be glory hogs. Look back at chapter 5 and verse 16 just real quick before we dive into the text here. 5, 16, Jesus says this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Let's stop there. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So he didn't stop there. But that's usually where we stop. No, he said, let your light so shine, do good works that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. In chapter six, if you can go back there, chapter six and what we've read, he says, listen, do your works in secret. So you might say this, okay, wait a minute, I'm confused. This seems to contradict. One time he's saying, let people see your good works. Another time he says, go in your closet. If you can get in your closet, go in your closet, pray there, so that nobody else sees you. So which is it? I like what a man named A.B. Bruce, I don't know who he is, but he said this. He said, we are supposed to show our good works when we're tempted to hide them. And then we ought to hide them when we're tempted to show them. Isn't that good? Everybody follow that? Because sometimes we're tempted to hide our good works because of self-love. And other times we're so carnal, so vain, that we want everybody to see our good works because of self-love. Our problem today is self-love. Good morning. Thank you for coming to Southwest Baptist Church. Predominantly, we all love ourselves more than we really love God. Come on, let's just be honest about it here this morning. That's the truth, friend. It is. Self-love. Well, what solution did Jesus provide here to help us from getting self-glory? Because obviously he wanted us to give, and obviously he wanted us to pray, and obviously he wanted us to fast, and obviously he wanted us to preach and teach and sing and, and meet together like this. I mean, we're supposed to live our lives in the closet or what? No. In the inner room? No. I mean, we, we've got to have interaction with one another but we better take heed, like he says here in verse one, pay attention, be on one, one's guard. When you do your alms, he says, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest, when, did you notice that? Notice that he said this, uh, first of all, notice he said, when you do your alms, when you pray, when you fast, that means this, he expects you to give, he, he expects you to pray and he expects you to fast. If you're going to be his disciple. Mind you, it's not if, it's when. So he expects us to do alms. What are alms? Well, alms would basically be charitable acts. Giving, giving to the poor. They didn't have a system like ours um, in their day and time. So the poor were oftentimes dependent on people being willing to give, to share. They were found there in the entryways to the temple and in the streets. And, and they were, many of them were begging and asking for a charitable donation. But then also there was the, the boxes that were set up, you know, uh, in, in the entryways uh, near the 
temple and, and much like we have today as we, as we exit here today, as we have uh, men ushers that are there with the offering plate, then you're going to give faithfully of tithes and of offerings. And so obviously Jesus wasn't against that, but he was against this a wrong motive. I wonder how many donors there would be to these charitable organizations if nobody got mentioned for it. I wonder how many would start giving if we started posting all the givers here. <laughs> all right, next Sunday, Brother Ted, we're going to have list out here. Everybody's giving records. All right, everybody's name, everybody's giving. Next Sunday, is everybody all right with that? And in the top, we're going to have the top 10 givers. Are we going to do that? Absolutely not. I'm glad to tell you I don't have a clue who gives and who doesn't give. I don't want to know as a pastor because I just want to be able to preach and shoot gun barrel straight with you that you ought to tithe and I can look you in the eye and say, I don't know whether you are or not, but you ought to be. Amen. How's that? Is that all right? And so we're not going to post, you know, uh, who's giving and who's not giving. But wait a minute, let me, let me deal with the heart of right there, the, the heart of this. If, if you would start giving just because they were posted, that's fear of man. If you in your heart says, oh, I wish they would show who's the best giver here because I know it'd be me then welcome to this sermon. The act was good. The motive was wrong. Jesus said, therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. Did they literally do that? I don't know. Most of the people I read after said, I don't know that they actually did that. It actually may be Jesus using a humorous idea, a caricature in our minds to see, okay, here's this guy. He's going to go give, you know, down at the local synagogue, but he's got this band before him that's playing. You know, I mean, just imagine these trumpeters that are blowing just in case nobody was paying attention. Hey, just in case you want to know, I'm about to drop about $100 right here. I'm about to do this. Dun, dun, dun. Now appearing for everybody's appreciation, brother so-and-so. <laughs> Anyways, okay, that got weird. But I'm just saying, he said, don't be like the hypocrites. Okay, so what does hypocrite mean? Well, a hypocrite used in verse 2, 5, and 16 is one who pretends other than what he or she is. A hypocrite. It literally is a pretender, a play actor. Um, the word is actually just brought out from the Greek. It's hypocritos. And so you can hear the word hypocrite. So in the Greek dramas, as they play different parts, then they would wear a mask. And so their mask was their character. I, I, had a, uh, a bro I have a brother-in-law who back in the day used to wrestle. I mean, you know, like, anyways, I think about WWF in my, in my day and time, but I hate to bust anybody's understanding of that, but it's all fake. I hate to tell you. I mean, he told me when I, I mean, he broke the news to me when I was a little kid because I was all about, man, no, it's real. Look, he just got slammed on the body, on the a body slam. That's real. You can see it. No, they plan it all out. And he said this, I'm messing up some of you right here, right? He said this, when I was a good guy, I didn't wear a mask. When I was a bad guy, I wore a mask. Same guy. How about that? Hypocrite. <laughs> I'm not calling my brother-in-law hypocrite. I'm just saying <laughs> hypocrite. That's what the word means. <clears throat> Listen to this. It's a moral or religious counterfeit. It's one who treats the world as a stage and invites everybody the, to their theatrical performance. It's one who lays aside his true identity and assumes a false one. Now, now let, me, let, me, uh, let me make a side note here that's related to this. Somebody here might say, I feel like a hypocrite coming to church because I come to church and I've been coming now for a while and I carry my Bible and I, I, I try to dress in a way that honors God, but I'm still struggling with cursing or smoking or drinking. Or, and and you, you may be here today and feel like a hypocrite. Well, if you're not concerned about that, and you're making a show, then you are a hypocrite. But I, I jotted it down this way. You're not a hypocrite if you're trying to grow, but you are a hypocrite if you're putting on a show. Does that make sense to everybody? Because if, if, if the only people allowed in here were people that had their spiritual life squared away, it'd be empty. It'd be empty. 
But, but here's, the, here's the problem. We should not in any way divert attention away from God and onto ourselves. That they may be seen of men, he says, have high status among men, being that they might enhance or shine their reputation before men. Now, I believe it's right that we would recognize people that are faithful. I don't think that that is a problem. Just this past week, there was a dear lady named Miss Deb. I think I see Brother Lynn Schuyler back here. Is that right? Brother Schuyler and Miss Schuyler. Glad to have you all here visiting. They're from Central Baptist Church of Ponca City. So they know who I'm talking about when I say Miss Deb, Miss Debbie. I, I can't remember her last name right now. But nonetheless, uh, they recognized her la this past week on Thursday night. Listen to this. For over 25 years of coming to Sagmont Baptist Youth Camp and cooking and helping and serving year by year in that capacity. And over that amount of time in Awanas and children's ministries and, and Brother Tim Patrick, um, who just started pastoring, um, got up and, and, and he prayed and thanked God for Miss Deb, who had an impact on his life when he was a child. You know, that taught him when he was a little boy. So they had a plaque for Miss Deb. They had flowers for Miss Deb. They had balloons for Miss Deb. It was really wonderful. But, but she didn't do it to get the praise and attention to men. In fact, in fact you could tell she felt pretty uncomfortable with that. I, and, and I talked to her afterwards and, and she said, I, I did. And I said, well, listen, Miss Deb, here's, here's what they're trying to do. And I mean, and she was okay with it and she appreciated it. So I don't think Jesus is against things like that. Um, unless you live for things like that. And, I, and what, I, what I said to Miss Deb was just this. Listen, part of that is trying to inspire a new generation coming up to have a servant's heart. That whether recognized or not, and there's many people I think that, that in terms of God knowing what's done in secret, they're going to get all kinds of rewards that this preacher's never going to get because nobody else may know. And preachers and singers and, and, and officers and et cetera, et cetera, we may get a lot of attention. But I'll tell you, there are people that are not known to this world or to churches or to people, but they are faithful year in and week out and, and month in and month out. And they are faithful to love the people of God and serve and and God takes note. He does. Jesus said, though, if you live for everybody's attention, you're a glory hog taking attention from where it ought to be, then you have your reward. And in fact, that, that is a, a terminology that is used there. It's actually a commercial transaction. In other words, you just received your full payment. What was it? You got the attaboy. You got good job. And that's it. If you're, if you're living for man's applause rather than God's approval. Now that's what we need to do today is this, live for God's approval, not man's applause. Everybody get that? I, I realize there may be somebody here that's lost and I'm, I'm gonna get to that here in just a moment, but I'm saying to every Christian worker, every Christian here, We are not in any way worthy of glory that belongs to him. And I'm not preaching this day because I think we have a great problem with it. I hope that this is largely preventative, but I, I'm preaching this today because I know I struggle with it. I think all of us struggle with it, that, that if we're not careful, what we can do, the way we say things, um, our efforts to work hard at being ready to sing. And please don't, please, please, please don't misunderstand this. There's a lot of hard work that goes into playing these pianos and singing here or singing here or preaching here or teaching here or greeting there or ushering here and, and doing all these things. There's a lot of hard work and preparation that goes into that. And Jesus is not discouraging that action or that service, but it is a gut check. It is a heart check to make sure that what we do and how we do it, I don't think he wants us to hold back in any way. You, you've, got to, you, you've got to be the person he made you to be and let truth pour through your personality. Don't hold back, but don't do things to try to get attention to yourself that would divert it away from him. So what should they do instead? Well, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, what does that mean? Let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You say, well, that happens to me every day. 
It happens to me every day. I, I don't think he's saying, you know, don't pay attention to what, what you're budgeting, what you're giving. Tomorrow morning, uh, my routine on Monday, my day off is I do our, our budgeting. I go through our spending. I see what we spend in this category and that category, and I categorize it, you know, download it from the bank, put it in to our Excel and do all that. That's, 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 my, that's my nerd time in the week, you know, being the, the financial nerd, you know, and looking at how things are and, and just trying to be a good steward. So I know what my left hand and right hand are doing in terms of giving. Here, here's the point. It ought to be this way. Obviously, we shouldn't seek to give to get the praise of men, but also this, we should not secretly congratulate ourselves. Oh man, you're giving so much. That is so good. And you don't even have to announce that, but if you're not careful, you could say, man, look at what you're giving. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Yeah. Live, give in such a way to please the Father alone. John, John Stott had a lot of good things to say here in this particular passage. And one thing he said was this, a ravenous hunger for the praise of men was the besetting sin of the Pharisees. Ravenous. If I keep preaching much longer, some of you are going to get to that point of being hungry, ravenous. But listen to what he said, a ravenous hunger for the praise of men. Are you hungry for the praise of men? Can you serve if nobody else recognizes you? What if nobody tells you good job? Or what if nobody appreciates you either as a husband or as a wife or as a, young, as a child, or as a church member? What if, what if nobody ever does this? Can you live with God's approval alone? Prayer. Verses 5 through 8. He expects his disciples to pray. He is not here condemning public prayer. He himself prayed publicly. Father, he prayed. Uh, Elijah prayed publicly. Um, Ezra prayed publicly. David, publicly. Solomon, mercy, did he ever pray publicly. And long. I mean, if you've been in 1 Kings chapter 8, then you've been there a while. That's a long prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's not a self-centered prayer. It's a God-centered prayer. So, God is not against public praying as long as, again, it's for the right motive. As a child growing up, um, my wife Angie and sister-in-law Becca know where I'm going here. Uh, probably others. Uh, as we grew up, there's a preacher that was uh, retired in the church named H.T. Ashby. We knew at the close of the service, when Brother Carson, our pastor, called on Brother Ashby, Brother Ashby, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer? We knew we were going to be there for a while. <laughs> Am I telling it right? Five minutes, ten minutes. But you could tell he was not doing it for show. It was so clear. And you, you kind of felt like, man, we're... We're in the throne room. Like, you know, as a child, you kind of peek around. God must be here somewhere. He's talking to him. He had a deep, booming voice. Made a real impression on me. But it didn't make an impression on me because he, as a man, was trying to make an impression on me. It had made an impression on me because I knew that his heart was sincere in it. Does that make sense? I just want to be clear here. He's not against this public prayer. <laughs> But he is against loving to pray. Hang on, wait a minute, that sounds bad. He said there, they love to pray. If you stop there, then that's not bad. You love to pray? I hope you love to pray. Get to talk to your Heavenly Father. What a blessing, what an honor. It's not, but here's the problem. It's not prayer that they loved, nor the God, I'm, I'm quoting again John Stott, nor the God that they were supposed to be praying to that they loved. No, they loved themselves and the opportunity that public praying gave them to parade themselves. So whether it was in the synagogue or in the corners of the street, they would stand, and it means Jews stand today at the Wailing Wall and they're praying publicly. Um, but they would pray in the corners of the street so that everybody could hear his prayer skills. No doubt they prayed loud and long. Our great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we praise thee and we thank thee. 
because you got to speak old English, right? Well, you can, but not if it's to be seen of men. Is, it, is this making sense? I'm, tell, I'm telling you, folks, there's so many ways that we are glory hogs. Jesus is telling us it's wrong to use God to make yourself look good. It's wrong to use God to make yourself look good. Uh, John MacArthur, I wouldn't agree with his theology about the election because uh, Jesus died for everybody and therefore everybody can be saved. But listen to what he said right here. Sin will follow us into the very presence of God. And no sin is more powerful or destructive than pride. In those moments, when we would come before the Lord in worship and purity of heart, we may be tempted to worship ourselves. Brother Sam, in his notes on personal spiritual development, said this, it is wrong to pretend communion with the God of heaven when really your only interest is to impress the hearers with your prayer ability. Don't pretend to talk to God when really your desire is to be heard of men. If we, he goes on, if we can express ourselves in prayer when with a partner, with a group, or in public, but lack expression when alone, surely we need to do an inward check of our motive. If you can pray well when you're praying with somebody else, and I love it every Sunday morning, I get to pray with my son, Trevor, and we pray together. But if I can only pray when I'm praying with somebody else, there must be something wrong with my prayer because I must be doing it kind of peeking out to the side. I wonder what they think about my praying. Satan is subtle. Sam goes on to say, and our hearts and flesh are wicked. We may even pray very alone and have secret communion with the Father and then find it absolutely absolutely unbearable that others don't know about our private time of prayer. Well, this suddenly then we made it all about us rather than about what it was supposed to be, our time with God alone. Well, this is going over great, isn't it? But it's needful, isn't it? We all deal with it because we deal with pride. I preached Daniel 4 this week and about Nebuchadnezzar and his pride. And somebody said this about pride. Pride is the only disease that every, makes everyone sick but the person who has it. Benjamin Franklin said this, pride is difficult to deal with. There is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> pride. Young lady came to her pastor, and her pastor's wife, as they had a meeting and said, Pastor, I've got to be, I, I have a besetting sin in my life that I cannot control. Every time I come to church, I began to look around at all the other women. And I realized that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None others, none of the others can compare with my beauty. What can I do about my sin? He said, Mary, that's not a sin. That's just a mistake. Anyways, pride. We can pretend to be praising God when really our great concern is his people praising us. Now that can be true of a quartet just as much as it can be true of a praise band. Sometimes we take to task contemporary churches that are rocking out and the drums are encased and the lights are dim and strobe lights are going. And, and you have to ask yourself self the question, who's this all about? You or God? But I submit to you today that somebody could stand up here singing in a quartet. The suit and tie and everything just right. Hair parted if they have it. And singing the right part, hitting that bass note deep or, hang on, bass note over here deep or hitting that high tenor note and still be just as much filled with pride if your point is to be seen and admired and appreciated of men that's just as wrong as a praise band that's rocking out for the glory of themselves. An independent fundamental preacher can be just as filled with pride as today's modern contemporary preacher that's very trendy because we can become proud of who we are rather than grateful for who he is. Yes, yes, yes. What did Jesus say to do? He said to do this. Instead of praying 
publicly. And again, he's not against public prayer as long as there's also private prayer to back it up. Here's what you do. Go into your closet. What does that mean, your closet? Is that like your closet where you keep your clothes? Well, in their day and time, it was their storehouse. It was the, there was an inner room that typically did not have, a, have windows. Our home in, in, on Hammett Hill was constructed that way. Behind the fireplace was actually this uh, room. It was probably about, I don't know, six by eight or something like that. A relatively small room that was designed to be a sewing room. My brother and I shared the room before we got old enough and brave enough to move upstairs where it was scary, okay? <laughs> Anyways, but that would be like the inner room. You go in there and shut the door, nobody can see you. That's your war room. That's, that's a place where you commune with God. It's your treasure house. It's your treasure room. It's where you, you pray to the Father in secret. And the Father that sees in secret, He'll reward you openly. And you won't get the applause of men, but you'll have the approval of God and see God do some things. Okay, how about the next part? Verses 7 through 8. Empty repetitions. Uh, when He says, uh, use not... Vain repetitions. The word vain repetitions there means this, meaningless words, babbling, piling up meaningless phrases, thinking that they would be heard. I mean, he's obviously talking about heathen, uh, pagans that were just having incantations and saying things over and over. I believe modern day could apply to the rosary and praying through uh, the rosary, I, I think. But also it's, it's not just people in Catholicism that have vain repetitions. It can be Baptists like us that pray things without even thinking it. Sometimes I have to just stop myself and say, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm, I'm praying to the Father and I'm not even thinking about what I'm praying. You ever do that? Prayer is a relationship. So in, in answer to that, the solution to that would be this. Be not therefore like unto them, verse 8, for your father, um, I'm sorry. Yes, that's right. Be not like them. Your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. So the, the idea here is pray with confidence. You don't have to impress God for him to pay attention to you. I think we ought to be reverent when we come to God's presence. But I'll tell you this, when I'm sitting there in the office uh, especially used to happen when the boys were younger. I mean, they, they'd come in, just the door would fly open. And, and still to this day, as the boys get done with visitation sometimes, they'll come in and they've kind of learned to knock because sometimes I might be meeting with somebody and counseling or whatever. But they, they come in and I'll tell you what I would do when I was studying or whatever I was doing, I would drop everything I was doing to give my full attention to my son. If I, as a imperfect father, Delight. I mean, I love it when they come in the office. I do. I love it. I love to have time with the sons. I love to have time with our boys. If we had girls, I'd love to have time with them too, just in case you're wondering. I'd love, I, I love, I love kids. I love, I love to get to do that. If I, as an imperfect man, enjoy having time with my children, how much more does your perfect Heavenly Father, those of you that are saved, love to have time with you? come with confidence. Jesus certainly taught his disciples to avoid the tendency to serve for self-glory by aiming for God's approval, not man's applause. In Romans chapter 3, the Bible tells us there's, there's none righteous, no, not one. That we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no, no one that's going to get to heaven and say, I'll tell you what I did to get here. I did good works. I joined that church. I got baptized. I started giving. I did that. No, Paul at the conclusion of chapter three said it this way. Where is boasting then? We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That no flesh, the Bible says, no flesh should glory in his presence. Did you get saved because you started keeping the law? Did you get saved because you did good works? No, because if you could be saved, born again into God's family by doing good works, or if you think somehow you're keeping yourself saved by your good works, then that is no more grace, but that is works. 
The Bible says that we've all come short of the glory of God, but that God loved us and he committed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm telling you, friend, there's no amount of good works that you could do to save yourself because of what he already did on the cross of Calvary, that he shed his blood for you, that he was buried and thank God for this, that he rose again to save anybody that simply would receive the free gift of salvation. Salvation in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, is by grace through faith, apart from works. Because if you could do some works for it, got it. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's only one solution. Trust Him. Church, Southwest Baptist Church. Let's take heed to the Savior's words here. Because there is a lot of self-service in serving God. There tends to be. Giving, praying, these things he mentioned. Let me ask you this. Did the disciples struggle with this or did once they heard it, they got it? They struggled. Jesus had just told them, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. What was that that you were talking about on the way? Do you think Jesus missed what they were talking about? No, he knew what they were talking about. Because on the, on, the, on the way, they were talking about the goat. Now, those of you in the sports world know what I'm talking about. The goat. You said, I thought you were talking about glory hogs. Same thing. The goat, the greatest of all time. Who's the greatest disciple? They were having their own ceremony and nominating only themselves. Making their case. Why? They think they should be the one that gets the greatest discipleship award. They totally miss what Jesus taught them. But hang on, wait a minute. They got it. What I mean is they eventually got it because there came a time in their life when their name didn't matter. His name did. Neither is there any name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Peter says, listen, it, give glory to God. I mean, it's God. Paul said, don't worship us. Do you remember that as they bowed in their presence? He said, get up. I'm a man just like you are. John said, I'm a man just like you are. I'm a sinner just like you are. There's nothing special about me because I'm an apostle or I'm a pastor. No, no, no. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. I'd be on my way to hell right now had it not been for him. I would, my sins would still be over my head had it not been for him. Hey, we can't be glory hogs when we understand what we really are. That's exactly right. So don't let church attendance become more about you, that, that you can ease your conscience by attending church or that you have a reputation as a church-going person. No, you need to be here today because he and he alone deserves the worship and the glory and the honor and the praise. And, and you ought to be involved in church ministries and involved in missions and missions giving and have standards of separation, not to get the approval and praise of men, but rather this to say, he's holy and I ought to be holy in my manner of conversation. And I, I want to live for his honor and his glory. I don't want to try to get attention to myself by dressing seductively because I'm not in this for the applause of man. I'm not trying to catch other people's eye. I want to live for his honor and his glory. Are you listening to me here? But even if you have your dress just right and your suit just right, you can still live for your own honor and glory even though you're modest because you become proud of your modesty. I'm telling you, we are such glory hogs that we can go the other way on the other side of the ditch. Your position and your music and your soul winning and your notching your gospel gun. Yeah, I led this many and this many. Hey, I thank God there are men that stand and give a, give a testimony that this person, I got to lead this individual. They're not patting themselves on the back. They're giving glory to God. I thank God for that. You can do that, but just make sure you're checking your heart to make sure you're not just trying to be the greatest soul winner of all time and how you, how you wrote the book, The Three Greatest Soul Winners of All Time and How I Led Them All to the Lord. <laughs> or Humility and How I Attained It, part two. It boils down to this, folks. Only one is worthy of glory because he alone is completely holy. 
It affects us as preachers and teachers. Because I know how short to preach if I want everybody's approval. <laughs> you would have already been gone by now. There's also another side of that. I know how long to preach to get everybody's approval and thinking, oh man, he can really preach a long time. There's a subtle element of pride there. I know how to be funny to get people to laugh and that could be more about my applause and approval. Are you listening to me? But if I use that for me, I'm using it wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with the use of humor as long as it's directed to help people get the message. Are you listening? Is this making sense? I'm just saying to you, we tend to be rooting, wallowing in pride and we need God to deliver us from it. Whether you're singing a song, teaching a lesson, preaching a message, greeting people in the foyer, or somebody's saying to you at work, man, you're a good Christian. And that, you ought to say, well, glory be to God, because if you knew me like I used to be, then you wouldn't say something like that. Young man read this morning. I'll close with this. Brother Hunter Harrington doing his internship this summer read to us this morning uh, Psalm 113. And he came to this verse, verse 4. The Lord... The Lord is high above all nations. The Lord is high above all nations. And His glory above the heavens. And He will share it with no one. And shouldn't. Dear God, um, I come to you this morning and Thankful that you confront us, convict us, humble us, because we're often filled with pride and selfishness in our own way. God, I, um, I do pray for someone here today that may be trying their very best to, to be a Christian, but maybe they don't understand salvation being by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. I pray today that they would cease their efforts, their works, to trust your finished work and your person. And I pray today for all of us. I, I know we tend to try to get glory to ourselves and use prayer and giving and other things to divert attention away and this hypocritical God. And I pray you'd forgive us of it and help us get to the place where we're, we're truly just living for your honor and glory. Help us, dear God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Page 257.